Well, as we've been looking at this psalm for the past nine weeks, we finally come to the conclusion of this lengthy psalm, the longest chapter uh, in our Bibles, the longest song that is recorded for us in our Psalter. And as we've journeyed through this, like, really a poetic masterpiece, uh, we've seen different aspects and, and characteristics of what our Bible is. Uh, we, we've seen what our Bible does. It, it teaches us the paths of righteousness. It causes light to shine upon our paths. It even shows us Christ, as we'll conclude our sermon today, reminding ourselves with. And then, thirdly, we've seen that there is a requirement that the, that the Scriptures declare Uh, For the people of God, it calls us to obedience. Um, As I was uh, preparing for middle school chapel this week at Dillon Christian, I was trying to figure out a way to to summarize the entirety of this psalm uh, into three points, because that's what good Presbyterian ministers do, right? We usually have three points, and they all coincide with each other. And and I wanted to make it accessible for these middle, middle school students, and so that's how I said it. That this psalm teaches us what the Bible is, what the Bible does, and what the Bible requires. And just to kind of give you some overview of maybe where we've already been, we re- we're reminded that the, the Bible is God's Word. We, we looked at that in great detail last week, that God has spoken to us a Word. That the Creator, the majestic God, has revealed Himself, yes, first in nature, that we can see the, the glories of God's handiwork as we look at the sunshine and, and we look at the fields of corn and, and as, we, as we watch the animals move. We can see the handiwork of God. And yet, for the Christian, God has especially revealed Himself to us by His Word. He teaches us about Himself. He teaches us about ourselves. He teaches us what our duty is, how we are to worship Him in the splendor of holiness. This is what our Bible does, isn't it? That not only is our Bible the very words of God, literally the Apostle Paul says that these words are God-breathed, but it does something. It teaches us how to worship Him. It teaches us what our duty is concerning God, what our duty is concerning one another. And if it's going to teach us our duty, as our catechism teaches, if it's going to teach us our duty to God and to one another, a horizontal plane and a vertical plane, then we must obey it. You see, if we really believe that Scripture is the Word of God, and that Scripture even coincides with the attributes of God, do you understand what I say when I say that? That if... God is holy, that means our Bibles are holy. If God is true, then our Bibles are true. If God is simple in His being, then we can understand the simplicity of God's Word. Our God is righteous, therefore His Word is righteous. If we really believe that, we will have a a high honor, a high respect for our Bibles. And it would not surprise us that 
are Bibles as they have authority over our lives because they are the very Word of God, that they demand from us a response, that they demand from us obedience, that they require from us godly living. And so that's how we're going to close our time in this psalm. We're going to be reminded of the requirement of Scripture. Or maybe we might say the requirements of Scripture. Because unlike a good Presbyterian minister, I have four things. I have four things that I want to show you that the psalmist David says the Word of God requires of us. Before we do that, though, we need to read God's Word. And before we read God's Word, we need to ask our God for help. And so let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word, for we know that we cannot live by bread alone, but we must live by every word that comes from your mouth. And so, Father, we pray that you would especially speak to us as your people this morning, that we would see the requirement of your word and that we would diligently do it. The Lord Jesus says, blessed are those who hear and do the words that I have spoken. And so, Father, we pray that we would be reminded that there is a duty in which we are to respond to, a duty in which we are to uh, faithfully do. And Lord, that is to obey, to love, to cherish, to proclaim Your Word. And so, Lord, would You allow Your Spirit within us to work in us soft hearts, hearts that are humble and ready to receive Your words. And would You open our ears by your Spirit so that we might hear it. And Lord, then we pray that it would apply to us so that we might do it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, verses 145 through 176. Hear now God's Word. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love, O Lord. According to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose, but they are far from your law. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in all of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spool. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, 
and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies for all my ways are before you. Let me cry. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, of all your commandments. They are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever and ever. Well, as we look at these last four stanzas of this psalm, remember I said that there are four ways in which the word of God requires us to live. Now, of course, this isn't exhaustive. This is coming from this psalm in and of itself. But one that is overarching over all the others is simply obedience. And so the first thing that the Word of God requires of you is to obey it. Is to obey it. Now, of course, this is, has been a, a running theme through this, this entire psalm. David has poured out his heart in praise for what the Bible is, what the Bible does, what the Bible requires. And he has done it stanza after stanza after stanza. And and the point in doing this time and time again as he begins to just exuberate this love, this affection, this joy that he has for God's Word is so that you might know that you can cling to this Word in every situation, every aspect, every circumstance of your life. He writes in such a way that He helps you to understand that as you navigate this pilgrim journey through a world that is broken by sin, destroyed by sin, tainted by sin, that the only place in which we could go where we get right ways of walking is the Word of God. Now, of course, our Bibles tell us that we are to bear one another's burdens, that we are to confess sins to one another, that there is a community within the household of God in which we are to use and to celebrate and, and, and to find great, find great encouragement in, that the Christian life is not one of solitude, it's one of, it's one of a family. That we are to lock arm in arm together to pursue the things of Christ, to comfort one another in time of need, and to correct one another when correction is necessary. But the words of men are fallible. The, The words of men will ultimately, on occasion, fail you. Yet God's Word, as He teaches us the ways that we are to walk, never fails. They never lead you into falsehood. They never lead you astray. They are always good. They are always true. And therefore, when we hear God's Word requiring of, requiring of us a way to walk, we are to walk in it. You know, that's been a theme from the very beginning of this psalm. If we could just go back to verse 1. If you have your Bibles open, you can turn there. If not, just listen. 
Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who observe or keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart. Notice, it's a devoutness to the Word of God. And not only hearing the Word of God, or even knowing the Word of God, but but obeying the Word of God. Who's walking in the ways that have been revealed to us in the Word of God. Observing, keeping His testimonies, His statutes, His rules, His law, His precepts. You know, it's very clear here in our text. We can look really at the first two verses of our selection, 145 and 146. The psalmist David is determined, keep your statutes, and also praying that the Lord might be near so that He may observe the testimonies of God. How often do we pray that? Lord, would You work within me by Your Spirit the ability to follow Your commands more? How often are we so determined that the very first words from our mouth is, I am going to keep the law of God. This is a a determination, but also a prayer request, isn't it? A determination, I will do it. And understanding in and of himself, he cannot do it. Therefore, I pray that I can do it all the more. It's fitting. And we'll circle back to this at the very end of our time in the Scriptures, but, or in this psalm. But if you look back at 176, you see the determination in 145, don't you? But then you see the understanding that, that the psalmist David has. I have gone astray. In and of myself, I am determined to keep your law, but I continue to wander far away from your commandments. So it's a determination, but also it's a prayer request. This idea that I can only walk in the paths of righteousness because the Lord has enabled me to do so. And I'm only able to walk the paths of righteousness because my God has sought me out and brought me back to the fold. Of course, this, this last verse has, you know, it brings to my mind, it has reflections of Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. All of us have gone in our own way. And yet the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. It brings to my mind the parable of leaving the 99 to pursue out the one. That Jesus in His radical love, His love for us that is quite frankly mind-blowing. What shepherd would leave the 99 sheep to pursue the one? Well, that's the Lord Jesus. He loves you so much that He would leave the 99 to, to pursue the one, to seek out the one, so that He might lead us into green pastures. It is, it is fitting for us to claim for ourselves this determination and yet this prayer request. That I, I long to keep your statutes. I long to obey your commands. And yet, at the very same time, Lord, I need you to help me to do so. 
You know, so often we're reminded of Romans chapter 7 where Paul, even as a Christian, is, is wrestling with his flesh. It's one of probably the greatest scenes in all of our Bible because right after Romans chapter 7, this wrestling with the flesh, Paul then writes about life in the Spirit. And he says in Romans chapter 7 that I know the laws of my God. I'm determined to keep the laws of my God and yet I keep wandering away. I love the law of God and yet I don't do it. And I know those things in which God has commanded me to do and yet... I strike out against them. And so like Pastor Don has already said, as our assurance of pardon from Psalm 32 is being read, this this is not legalism when we say that we must pursue obedience to God's Word. Because we know that we fall short of God's glorious standard. And by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and His person and work, we have the righteousness of God imputed to us and we're washed as white as snow in the blood of the Lamb. We remember the Gospel. And yet at the same time, obedience is never divorced from the Gospel. We must understand that the Lord has saved us. The Lord has has called us into His family, adopted us, naming us sons and daughters so that we might live for His glory. And and so a a heart posture that understands that God's Word requires for us to obey it simply says, Lord, You have done this. You have given me new life in Jesus. You have given me a spiritual home even away from heaven. You have called me Your own. You have brought me into your family. Therefore, let me live up to the family name. Let me live for your glory and honor. Let me live according to your law, according to your statutes. I want to live a life that is pleasing to you. I desire to live a life that's pleasing to you. That is the determination of the Christian life. And yet at the same time, Lord, forgive me when I don't live up to the family name. Forgive me when I don't obey you as I ought. Forgive me that I'm not the husband. I'm not the wife. I'm not the son. I'm not the daughter that you have called me to be in Christ. Forgive me and yet enable me to keep your testimonies all the more. The first requirement of the Scriptures is to obey it. The second is to trust it. Is to trust it. If you look at verse 160... The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. You know, one of those hymns that we like to sing so often is trust and obey, right? Because we, we understand that God's word is not calling us to, to wander about in dark places. There is no darkness when we follow the ways of God's command. It is a lamp into our feet, a a light into our path, the psalmist has already said. And so we, we not only know the way in which we are to walk, but light is shed upon the ways that we are to walk, and then we are to walk. We come to the Word of God knowing, as the psalmist David says here, that it is the truth. And this truth endures forever. 
And we understand, don't we, that this means that we can have a concrete confidence, a settled confidence in the authority and the the truth of the Word of God. And so we trust it. Just remember what we said at the very beginning, even before we read our text. The same characteristics, attributes that belong to our God are reflected for us in His Word. And so if God says that He is the truth, the words in which He speaks to us are true. They're settled. They're certain. And therefore, we are to trust them. You think about Romans chapter 4. Abraham. Paul is celebrating. He's given us an illustration of the faith of Abraham. And what does he say about faith? with Abraham? Was it that he walked amongst dark places? Was it that he was blindfolded and told to leap off of the dark cliff? No. It was that he was fully convinced that God said what he said. Fully convinced in the promises that the Lord had declared to him. And so you think about the picture of of, of Abraham, even before his name is Abraham, when he's simply Abram there in the land of Ur, in his hometown, with his people. And the Lord speaks to him. He says, Abram, I want you to leave. And I'm going to give you a land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey. And I'm going to give you a people whose number will be greater than the sands upon the seashore. And and what does Abram do? Does Abram know the way to the land of promise? Nope. Does he know how he's going to get a generation upon generation upon generation? And and how he's going to have a family with a number greater than the sand upon the seashore? No. But he trusts in the promises of God. I'm going to give it to you. Therefore, in obedience, you walk. You trust my word. And so you see that obedience and, and trust Go hand in hand. That that God and His Word reveals to us who He is. That He is good, right, and trustworthy. That His words, His promises are good, right, and trustworthy. Therefore, we obey. Psalm 119, 165. Here in our text. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. If Scripture is what it says it is, if Scripture does what it says it does, then you can have a settled confidence that God will honor your trust in His Word as you obey it. That He gives you a settled confidence. He gives you a promise that there is blessing to be experienced for those who walk in the ways of the Lord. Do you trust that? Because quite frankly, beloved, if you don't trust it, you won't obey it. You know, we were speaking at prayer meeting this past Wednesday evening about the lack of prayer within the Christian life and within the Christian church. And one of the things that's so clear to me is that there's a lack of prayer because we don't trust God to answer our prayers. And and there is a lack of confidence because we don't believe in the promises of God. And so, to obey it, we have to trust it. 
to obey it, we must have a confident expectation that God will do what He says that He will do. And so that's the second requirement of the Scriptures. Not only does it require us to obey it, but it requires us to trust it. And thirdly, it requires for us to love it. To love it. Look at verse 163. I hate... And abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Notice what he's, what he's doing. He's putting a, a contrast before us. Lies, deceit, falsehood, hate, abhor, but I love your law. 167. My soul keeps your testimonies. Here's the motivation, right? The motivation is because I love them exceedingly. You see, here it is that that the psalmist David is showing us that that without the Word of God, where would we be? We would be a blind man in a dark room, as one commentator says. We would be a blind man in in a dark room. You think about the ways in which the Word of God has been with you. The first couple of years after you came to know Christ... The Word was there with you, teaching you how to live for the glory of Jesus. When you were suffering persecution, sorrow, temptation, where would you be without the Word of God? Falling in the face of temptation. Sorrowful without any hope. You see, without the Word of God, we would be miserably lost. A ship cast upon the waters in the, in the storm of life, tossed to and fro. And yet, the author of Hebrews says, in Jesus Christ, as He is presented to us in the Gospel, we have a sure and a steady anchor. And so where should we turn in times of temptation and sorrow? Well, the Word of God. Where should we see that God clearly manifests Himself, reveals Himself? Well, it's here in the Word of God. And if we trust it, if we're devoted to it, if we obey it, then we will have a clear expression that we love it. You know, I think that's the mark of a true believer, or one of the marks of the true believer, rather, that we have a real affection to the Word of God. You know, so many times already, the psalmist David has has said of the Word that he loves it, more than any earthly possession that he has. And you think about King David. You think about the glories, the majesty of King David. You think about the promises in which King David has been told of by God Himself. David, your throne is going to last forever. There should be great confidence in what he has, what he has done. He's a man of valor. He's a man of bravery. He's a man of riches. He's a man of prosperity in many different ways. And yet he says, I will give it all up for God's Word. He says that it's sweeter than the honey of the honeycomb. It's more valuable than riches, silver, or gold. There's a real affection to the Word of God in the heart of David. And that has to exist within the life of the Christian. Actually, the Scriptures require it, I believe. How could you be indifferent to a Word that reveals to you your God? 
How could you be indifferent to a word that tells you of God's kindness, mercy, long-sufferingness, forgiveness in Jesus? How could you be indifferent to the roadmap of the Christian life? I know us men, we're, we're real quick to look past instructions. What always happens? You don't build it right, you don't do it right, and you get your wife to read the instructions. Well, beloved, Jesus Christ Himself in His Word has given us the instructions and we must treasure it. We must treasure it. The Christian cannot be a Christian if he does not have a love for the Word of God. It's simply impossible. And so make a real spiritual quick check right here. Do I have an affection for the Word of God? Do I have a love for the Word of God? If not, we must really examine our own hearts. But then, the last requirement is to proclaim it. To proclaim it. The Scriptures absolutely requires us not only to obey it, not only to trust it, not only to love it, but to proclaim it. And there's a proclamation that David has spoken of throughout this psalm that's both horizontal and vertical. That we are to proclaim it to one another. And also we are to use it to proclaim praises to God. I love what the psalmist David says all the way back in verse 13. He says, With my lips I have told of all your commandments from your mouth. He says, I have spoken your testimonies before kings, and I shall not be ashamed, in verse 46. What the psalmist David is saying, in all of my spheres, my circles of influence, I am quick to talk about the Word. I am quick to talk about Jesus as He has revealed to me in His Word. I, I am quick to teach I am quick to proclaim. I am quick to evangelize. I want to speak. I want to speak with my lips of all of your laws, of all of your commandments, of all of your testimonies. And doesn't that interact with love? You see, trust and obedience interact with one another, and now love and proclamation interact with, both, with, with, one, with one another. Because what we love, we talk about, right? We were playing categories, that pool game with the kids yesterday. And, and, and constantly, you know, one of, the, one of the categories, every time we play, is, is always like favorite color, favorite food, favorite sports team. And right now it's baseball season, so we're all about the Atlanta Braves at our house. We, we have to watch it every evening. And so, of course, when... When Brooks guesses, or when somebody guesses, Atlanta Braves, and you know how the game goes, you start trying to swim across the pool without the person being quote-unquote it catching you. Of course, then it leads into the conversation. Well, Dad, who's your favorite Atlanta Braves player? Well, in all of history, my favorite Atlanta Braves player is Chipper Jones. Well, who's your favorite player right now? Matt Olson. What's his stats? What's he batting? How many home runs has he hit? Well, do you not like? Don't you love when we... And so it begins this whole conversation about Atlanta Braves baseball. 
And it shows you, right, the enthusiasm, the, the love in which Brooks, six years old, loves Atlanta Braves. Is it the same with your Jesus? Is it the same with His Word? Do you talk about your love for Him with one another? Do you take advantage of gospel opportunities that the Lord has providentially put in your way throughout the week? In your spheres of influence at home, at work, at school, are you quick to proclaim the name of Jesus? Are you quick to to share the good news of great joy that is found in the Scriptures, the hope that passes all understanding and the peace that is offered freely to all who will believe. It's a horizontal relationship, isn't it? But then in verses 171 and 172, we see that this proclamation of God's Word is is vertical as well. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. David here is talking about our biblically driven worship. He's speaking of what we would call, and maybe this isn't foreign language to you, but in our Presbyterian circles, we call it the regulative principle of worship. That our Bibles regulate the ways in which we are to sing and to pray and to read and to preach and to practice the sacraments. That the Word of God regulates. He teaches us. He tells us how to worship. And David is saying, only according to your Word will I worship. The way in which I sing, the way in which I praise, the way in which I obey will all come from Your commandments, for they are right. Why would we do anything that we would dare imagine could be wrong? Why would we do anything that our God has not commanded when we understand that He has commanded for us a biblically regulated, a biblically driven worship? He has revealed to us who He is in His Word, and He has revealed to us how He is to be worshipped in His Word. And therefore, the psalmist David says, vertically, I will only offer praises to you. I will only worship you in the ways that you have commanded me. And we understand, because we have journeyed now through these things, that we are to love biblical worship. We are to trust biblical worship. We are to obey biblical worship. Because God has promised us that He will bless the church. He will bless the family. He will bless the individual who worships Him on His terms. He is the sovereign God. He gets to determine how we worship Him. And that is good news for us as a church. He fills our hearts with His Word, so that we might sing forth praises from His Word. He fills our hearts with His Word so that we might plea the promises of His Word back to Him. He teaches us the way in which we are to see Christ. He tells us of the way that sinners are saved only by the Word and ordinarily by the preaching of the Word. And so we are to make it known both horizontally with one another and vertically back to Himself. We are to teach it, make disciples, proclaim it, evangelize it, but we 
are also to give back praises according to the Word of God. You see, as one commentator said, God and His Word is at the middle of everything in the Christian life and everything in the Christian's worship. There's no other place for it. It's right there in the center. Well, as I said, circling back at verse 176 here for just a few moments. Bear with me. 175 says, Let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. It's a determination, but also a prayer request if we circle back to our first point. And why is he praying? That the soul may live, that the soul may praise, and that the Christian might be guided by the Lord's rules. And simply it's because we have sheep. We, like sheep, have gone astray. We have gone astray like a lost sheep, the psalmist David says. Therefore, seek your servant. Isn't that the greatest way in which we could close uh, Close a a sermon, a series upon the Word of God. Search me, try me, seek me. Search the depths of my heart and, and take away anything that might lead me astray should be our prayer. And the beauty of God's Word is that it proclaims to us the Word incarnate. The Word made flesh, as John 1, 1 declares. But I love what Hebrews chapter 1 says about this Jesus. If you flip with me there, Hebrews chapter 1, looking at verses 1 and 2. Long ago, At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed to be the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. The author of Hebrews is declaring the very thing that Jesus declared Himself in John chapter 5. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But the Scriptures, they testify about Me. And then in Luke 24, as Jesus joins those traveling on the road to Emmaus, it says that Jesus began teaching them from Moses and all of the prophets how these things, how these Scriptures concerned Himself. You see, what is clearly before us as New Testament Christians as we have our Bibles from Genesis to to Revelation is, is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. How God is making all things new. That He is restoring His people to Himself. Yes, Adam and Eve ushered sin into the world, but the greater Adam has now come and He has lived a life under the law. What the Lord of God requires by His Word, God has done it in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Therefore, He is only able to clothe you in His righteousness. And He is only able to bear a sinner's cross so that His blood, His perfect substitutionary blood might cleanse you from all sin. You see, the reason in which we obey 
the Scriptures, the reason in which we trust the Scriptures, the reason in which we love the Scriptures, the reason in which we proclaim the Scriptures is because it tells us about Jesus. The Jesus who is the very Word of God made flesh. You see, as we look at the requirements of the Scriptures in Psalm 119, yes, God calls us to holiness. Yes, He calls us to obedience. And yet, at the very same time, just like the psalmist David declares, we know our hearts. We are prone to wonder. Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. And yet, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, He seeks out the servant. And He restores him a hundredfold to the inheritance of the majesty of His presence. May we obey the Word, but in our times of stumbling, may we entrust our souls to the very person and work of the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this word and we thank you for the Christ that it reveals to us. We pray, Lord, that we might know him, that we might love him, that we might obey him, that we might proclaim him until he comes again so that we might know and so that all the world might know to whom we belong, to whom we fear, to whom we're zealous for, to whom we trust. And Father, we pray that through our actions and through our proclamations, that you will not only draw us closer to you, but that you might use us as tools, instruments in your hands to bring fruit to your kingdom. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.